Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of After Dark with Jay and the Real. I am Jay, your host, and I must say that I am truly honored to have this very special guest on with us this evening to discuss a very juicy and important topic. Sheila Pearl, the love doctor, is a seasoned clinical social worker, certified life coach, bereavement counselor, family therapist, and retired cantor. She was married for three decades before becoming widowed, and during her husband's illness, she began her spiritual renaissance and authored several books. Um, I have to say that she is also a podcast host herself, and you can find her on Apple Podcasts. Let's talk about making love better. Sheila is passionately engaged in her career as a relationship coach and spiritual teacher, and she empowers men and women who are motivated to develop and expand loving relationships. So Sheila, welcome to After Dark, and I want to say thank you again for taking your time and energy to have this very sacred conversation with us. And I really look forward to talking about how to integrate shadow work into our loving and uh, intimate relationships. So welcome, Sheila. Thank you so much. It's, it's an honor, a pleasure, and it really serves my greater desire to be of service to more people and to really have these conversations, which are so important to not only all relationships, but especially intimate relationships, where you know <clears throat> the uh, the the pedal hits the metal, or the metal hits the pedal. No, the metal hits the pedal, right? So I often say that loving relationships are a spiritual journey, and to be a loving partner, you have to be a spiritual warrior. Mm. Yeah, it's not, it's not an easy dance. There are a lot of people that think that falling in love and having intimate relationships makes things easier in some senses. And loving is love, right? It makes sense. Um, but it's a lot. I know marriage and, and into really deep intimate relationships are work. And you have to be warriors in your relationships for them to thrive and to succeed. So um there's something uh, before we dive in that I love that you say, um, you say it's all about the one. Uh, loving is living and everything else is a distraction. Can you explain that more to our listeners? Well, I do believe that we're essentially designed to simply be love. Love is an energy. Love is the creative force. And love is really essentially who we are. Uh, Eric Fromm says, love is an attitude. It's a state of being. It's your sacred uniqueness. So love is not about a person. It's about the person you choose to be in any relationship. So love is, as, I, as Eric Fromm says, an attitude. But it's also essentially who we are without fear standing in our way. And what I've discovered is in, in many, if not most intimate relationships, it begins with the magic of the connection. It begins with the euphoria of the discovery. 
And then what often sets in is the vulnerability that accompanies the fear of really being seen. And when we're afraid of being seen for who we are because we think we're something that we don't want others to see. We're afraid that we're not enough. We're afraid we're imperfect. We're afraid that we're a fraud. We're afraid that we're uh, not enough for the other person. And so very often in the most intimate, important relationships in our lives, our fears and our vulnerabilities get in the way of true intimacy, true connection, true sharing, true love. And uh, so the work I have been doing for 40 years is very Jungian. Carl Jung is really the, we'd like to call him the progenitor of the whole idea of shadow work. And he was brilliant in his understanding of the underbelly of the human psyche and what the unconscious was all about in terms of, uh, you know, there's about 90% of what we are is under the, uh, the floorboards, is, is under the, the, the consciousness line. So, so much of what motivates us and moves us is what's unconscious. And how do we know that it's even there? Well, it shows up. It shows up as triggers. It shows up as reactivity. It shows up as uh, just a, at the moment that you think you're in a perfect moment of connection, something triggers you and you, you go cuckoo, you go crazy, you, you react, you, you scream, you shout, you push back. And you later, after you calm down and, and look around you and say, who was that crazy person? So in, in the work that I do, I say it's really important to be willing to acknowledge that, the, that you two have come together for more than just the euphoria of this, you know, this wonderful passionate relationship that you have. You really come together to assist each other in growing, not to be each other's therapists, but to really be that spiritual warrior that when your partner is going a little cuckoo, you are able to stand tall and still and say, I, I love you, all of you. Come to me, let me hold you. So I, I was blessed in having a husband who was able to be there for me when I was going cuckoo. When I was screaming and shouting and pounding on his chest, I hate you. He was able to say, I understand, I'm here for you, I love you. So he was one of my great teachers in learning what real vulnerability and real healing is about in the most intimate loving relationships that we have. Wow, I'm, I'm actually swelling up as you speak because you shared such a moment of great vulnerability that I know so many of us, I have to say all of us have felt and experienced within our relationships. And that is where um, that intimacy I feel is, is born, you know, being able to, to really be honest and to be vulnerable and allow those parts of yourself to be seen and for your partner to see that and to hold that space for you. Um, you know, you speak of Jungian shadow work, and I would love to kind of dive in a little bit into where that's born, right? Because we're so afraid sometimes to, like you said, show who we are, yet, yet all we want to be is seen and heard. But then that fear sets in 
that conscious vulnerability goes out the window for many and you're afraid of exactly the things that you want. And as young children, naturally, I feel that's where it starts, you know, when we receive negative cues, when we express emotions and are reprimanded or told not to cry or not to, to feel certain things. And so if you can maybe just for our listeners, elaborate a little bit about that space in which the shadow is born so that we can then really see it within our relationships, that would be great. It, the shadows born, as you alluded to, uh, usually when we're children, you know, we're, we're born with this kind of blank slate, as it were. We're born in, into the state of, of just total love and creativity and trusting. Uh, just watch the little child. You know better than many, Janet, because you've been a mother to several beautiful children. So you've watched this process unfold for you. And um, so a child is, you know, totally trusting until that moment that something happens that causes them to doubt, to question, to fear, to uh, now uh, anticipate something that has turned out to be hurtful and scary. And a child doesn't know how to process that. So it feels like, tastes like, smells like, I can't be safe. Um, I, I, I'm not enough, something's wrong with me. Um, and and we, we begin to grow up believing these big lies, these misunderstandings that happen when we're children, when we're born to parents who are perfectly imperfect. We're born to parents or into families where people are broken and they don't understand how to love. And so our essential selves have been uh, now um, called into question, who am I? So throughout our lives, we're invited to find out who we are in the midst of this great question and the doubt and the fear of being hurt and learning how to protect ourselves. We, we learn about you know these defense mechanisms. And so interesting, isn't it, that the very defense mechanisms that we begin to develop as little children become the very weapons that we use to prevent being close. So defense mechanisms guard against vulnerability, don't they? And yet the very thing that we need in intimate relationships is to be willing to be vulnerable. So the great paradox for us as grown-ups, as grown human beings who are now developing in our second, third, fourth uh, decades of life is to begin to undo in these decades of life what we had begun creating the first two decades of life. First two decades, we were developing defense mechanisms. Now we have to learn how to undo that so we can be, be willing to be that spiritual warrior that now takes away the guard rails, takes away the barriers, takes away the obstacles, takes away the barbs and, the, and all of the ways that we've learned to defend against real or perceived threats, real or perceived hurts. Yeah. To really, literally choose 
to be willing to be vulnerable to the point where we're willing to take the slings and arrows. We're willing to be hurt. That's the great paradox. So what Jung was talking about and how the work that he did was to assist us in, in uh, healing the misunderstandings and to develop the courage to face the fear so that we integrate the, the, the fear with the love. We begin to understand that we're bigger than the fear. And it's a process, it's a process for everyone. And, and it doesn't happen in the midst of perfection. There is no such thing. It happens in the midst of what I call perfect imperfection, where we begin to realize we're all of it. We're the up and the down. We're the weak and the strong. We're the, the, the cruel and the compassionate. We're all of it. And so the integration of the dark underbelly with the light with the integration of everything fear is capable of, including murder, that's the destructive part of us. We integrate the destructive with the constructive. And it's a constant dance, Jenny. And so it requires our being present, requires our being courageous. It requires our getting to the point, and it is a process. It doesn't happen easily or early on in our lives. It is a process in which we discover mm, my challenge is to be willing to love unconditionally, but that doesn't happen easily, nor does it usually happen early on in our lives. We, we think we'd like to be able to be capable of unconditional love, but you tell me in your experience with relationships and people you know and the people you've talked to, how many unconditional loving relationships, meaning intimate relationships, do you know? It's true. I will tell you, not many. Not many. Because there are conditions. You give me this and then I'll give you that. If you satisfy my needs, I'll satisfy yours. And now it becomes a tit for tat. Now it becomes transactional. And in any transactional arrangement, it's not unconditional at all. It's very conditional. And I'm not here to say that we must not honor our needs. We must. So we need to be realistic about what we expect from so-called loving, intimate relationships. So one of the conversations I had with one of my guests recently, I think you had alluded to hearing it, was how in his 24 years of marriage, that relationship that ended in divorce, he's only recently after the divorce discovered that he has the capacity for unconditional love for his now ex-wife and the mother of their child. But during most of that marriage, they did a dance together to learn and grow together in the midst of very conditional love, very contentious, very transactional, did a, lot, did a lot of growing. And now, as he's in his early 50s, he's learning at this stage of his life how to engage in unconditional love. We both we just took a breath at the same time. We did. I've been waiting for you to, to say something. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting what you're saying about yeah about that that episode I was listening to where within his marriage there was a lot of contention and condition and 
afterwards, after the divorce, he was able to find a place of unconditional love. And as you're speaking, and as I remember listening to this, that really hits home for me because I spent, you know, in my past life, in my first marriage, um, it felt very similar to what you were saying just now. And many years later, I can say that that is what I've been feeling. There's some type of growth that has happened between he and I, where through all of that, through all of that, I can now sit here and say that I unconditionally love this person, but it's, it's different. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you make of that in relationships, right? Because if, if, I'm, if I'm the person experiencing that as I'm speaking about, the conditions were when we were together every day, married in a marriage and a partnership. And so now when you separate that and you have divorce, I feel like you're not necessarily faced with all of those shadows. You don't necessarily have to integrate as much or try and work things out as much. So is it the unconditional love? Is there a true evolution and growth? Or is it just a shift of energy? And because now there's that distance from those certain elements that you can actually feel a little bit more at peace and feel the unconditional love. Is that real or is it perceived? I think it's both. Uh, I think you can't have had the experience of one without the experience of the other. So again, it's, it's a part of the dance. You couldn't have reached this level of, as you put it, unconditional love for your, your former husband had you not gone through everything with him that you did and everything since then. So it, it's, not a, uh, it, it, it's not a clear sort of, in other words, it's a constant integration. It's mm -hmm. a constant weaving of different aspects of ourselves. It's a constant dance with our own consciousness and awareness at every step of our journey with, every person who pokes us and triggers us. So we could have any number of people in our lives who poke us and trigger us. And when I say that, that poke, that trigger is an, an invitation to pay attention to the shadow. So in, in your close marital relationships, you're bound to have that more often because by definition, you're usually living with each other up close and personal every day. So the things that tend to be part of your shadow will probably bump up against your partner's shadow as well. So you'll be triggering each other. And in those count those triggers and counter triggers, that continues to be this ongoing invitation to pay attention to something in you that needs attention. Otherwise it wouldn't trigger you. So sometimes we need to have several close intimate partners in our lives to assist each other in growing. And it doesn't mean that you have to be with someone forever and ever for that to be a valuable relationship. And I do maintain once you have a relationship, like, you know, this, this old, old boyfriend of mine I've reconnected with after 50 years, 
once you have that relationship, you always have the relationship. It may change form. It's like, it's like, well, first of all, love. Love never dies, it just changes form, right? But but there is no death either, because everything's energy. So there's not even a death of the human being. There's just a change of the energy. The body goes through its own transformation. But whatever uh, the body was holding in terms of the energy, whatever the body was the vessel for, um, all of that just is transmuted and it becomes part of the transformation of, of that energy form. So I bless everyone in my life that has triggered me and forced me to go cuckoo, mm. who's forced me to face myself and it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Until we get it, the universe will somehow keep sending us people who poke us, who trigger us. And it doesn't mean that we have to live with all these people. My stepson was one such trigger. He just, you know, just wanted one, sometimes just look at his face. It would trigger me. I later figured out what it was. Uh, so... And, and it was part of my, my healing, part of my recognition of something that needed, that needed my attention. So sometimes we will have one, one of our children be our greater, uh, a, a greater teacher than others. In other words, that one child that's a thorn in our side, that one child that's constantly challenging us, that one child that's constantly triggering us, that one child is our teacher. And so as I work with the couples and families, because I work with couples and families, and I work with a lot of, individu a lot of individuals on their, uh, their, their most important relationships as well. Sometimes I never see any other member of their family, but I often work with entire families. And I was uh, working with a couple now whose children are now wearing the dysfunction of their longstanding dance where the children have begun to act out their parents shouting each other, calling each other's names. And so now I'm seeing the children who are mirroring, reflecting the chaos in the house and the anger in the house and the dysfunction in the house. So, you know, the issues of intimacy, the issues of, of um, resisting intimacy, the issues of resisting vulnerability uh, have a ripple effect everywhere throughout the, the family system. So I, uh, I had a, a telling conversation with the husband in, in one couple I'm working with who was, uh, you know, reacting to his wife for any number of things that have come up in their lives together. And he looked at me and I, I said to him, what is it that scares you? Why is it you cannot express what you really want, but you can express it to me? And he looked at me and he said, because I'm, I, I'm, 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 feeling, I'm afraid of feeling vulnerable. I said, the fear of feeling vulnerable is what's getting in your way. 
you must be re you must allow yourself you must want to feel vulnerable so you're not constantly guarding against it every time we guard against something every, every time we resist something we're putting up a barrier so i said what if you could feel more free in your relationship with your wife if you weren't constantly protecting yourself from real or perceived attacks what if you could hear what your wife is saying as feedback and not criticism mm. so the the shadow work that i do all the time every day uh, all the time is to help couples understand that the gift that they think is the curse is the trigger they have to pay attention to and until they're willing to be vulnerable in their relationship with one another they're going to continue to fight because the fight comes from defending themselves against real or perceived attacks so could you speak to real or perceived it's something it's it's interesting i use it all the time when i sit back in self observation that's like a mode that is really important to just me in my everyday life um, I sit back, I observe, and if something triggers me, I ask myself what I'm feeling and is this real or perceived? It could be real and perceived too. It could be. So, so for instance, and, and it's all in the packaging, it's all in the way people ex express themselves. This is why communication and how we say something is so important. But it, let's just say for, for, uh, for example, um, this particular woman has a way of expressing herself where she would say things like, why did you have to do that? Now, it comes across as an attack, doesn't it? Yes. Why did you have to do that? And in her mind, she's just asking a simple question. He hears it as a criticism and an attack. So to him, the real and perceived uh, uh, attack, if you will, is that she's doubting him or she has uh, something in mind that's in the form of an attack or criticism and he cannot stand to be criticized. It, it drives him crazy to think that he's doing something that upsets or makes his wife unhappy. So the real or perceived criticism is his fear of being criticized in the first place so even if she didn't mean it as a criticism he's going to hear it as a criticism mm. doing shadow work within yourself is quite a journey it's it's a dance that ebbs and flows sometimes it can last several years sometimes there, there's no time frame it's an ever-flowing dance but i to do the work in partnership is, it's from experience, it's amazing work, it's deep work, it's difficult work at times, but it's, it's very different when you're trying to, to really tap into the vulnerable and intimate spaces within your relationship. It's a different kind of dance. Um, so it is. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, there, there are some teachers of this work they don't call it shadow work. They call it imago. Imago. 
So Imago is to me shadow work, but uh, uh, Hendrix, um, I'm trying to think it's, it's Hendrix and Hunt, uh, the uh, husband and wife team who have developed over the past 40 years, the Imago work. It's the mirror, the, the whole idea of the mirror, of, of mirroring one another. And the idea that uh, people in close intimate relationships come together uh, on an unconscious level so that they can assist each other in growing and evolving consciously. Mm. So that the work they developed is really based on Jung in, in many ways. And, uh, and it, it's the kind of thing I've been doing for a long time. I studied with them for a while. Um, and um, Harville Hendricks is the name and, and Helen Hutt. Um, so the, the, the work is, is uh, beautiful. Um, some of the books they've written are Getting the Love You Want, Receiving the Love You Want, uh, really kind of seminal work in terms of relationships. And it is a process, and I'm willing to, to say that it's a lifelong process. Because mm. why? Because we're always changing and evolving. And, and the, the challenge for you and me, no matter what stage or age we are in our lives, is to remain awake, to be present. And if everything is always moving and changing and growing, don't you think we are? Of course. I'm not the same person today I was yesterday. I had a hell of a day uh, today. And, and, you know, so I'm not going to be the same person tomorrow I was today because of some of the more, more challenging conversations I have with clients today that just rocked my world in a very disturbing way. Hmm. I, I, I feel their pain. It really, it gets to me. And I, and I feel their vulnerability. And I understand how difficult it is. I also understand how essential it is to be willing to be vulnerable. And so I wrestle every day with how can I, how can I teach others more effectively to be willing to be open, to see that the very thing they're most afraid of is causing their most pain. They're most afraid of seeing that part of themselves that they're afraid of being criticized. Right. I mean, I mean, what if I wasn't afraid of ever being criticized for anything? Wouldn't that be liberating? <laughs> what if I wasn't afraid of being called old or fat or over the hill or who, who needs another book from you or whatever the case may be? Right. I mean, what if what if I wasn't afraid of that? And if you said that to me, it wouldn't destroy me. Wouldn't that be liberating? Truly. Wow. And the real question is, what is it I'm so afraid of seeing in myself or what is it I'm so afraid of others seeing in me that's getting in the way of my joy? Mm. Yeah. So the, the need to and the value of looking into ourselves to seek to understand ourselves, to seek to be honest with ourselves, to seek to be authentic with ourselves so that we can engage in what I call radical acceptance of ourselves. Mm. Imagine how that would liberate us in terms of being willing for anyone else to see us as well. But if I'm so busy covering up, wearing a mask, pretending, hiding, I'm constantly boxing myself in and I'm constantly on guard. So shadow work 
is basically doing, as you say, that deep work all the time in being totally present, as totally present as we can. We live complicated lives. But to be willing to look again, to ask, is this true? To When I feel that heat rising, when I feel somebody's triggered me and I'm ready to lash out, to take that deep breath. The power of the pause is amazing. Just take a deep breath and pause. Give yourself a couple seconds so you don't react. Do you know that one of the major problems for all conflict in the world today is the extent to which people are reacting their way through life and not responding? Yeah. It's that reactivity that's the shadow. Every time we react and don't respond, the shadow is is front and center. And the shadow is unconscious. Hmm. The shadow is something we're not aware of. Once we're aware and we can handle it, that's what emotional intelligence is about also, to be increasingly aware of what it is we are feeling and thinking so that we can respond to it. If I can own it, then I'm not going to put it on you. And the extent to which anybody is pointing the finger at blame at someone else for their pain and difficulty is the extent to which they can't engage in conscious uh, exploration into their own shadow. They don't want to see it. They don't want to look. Mm. Yeah, Viktor Frankl, he says something about how um, between stimulus and response is the space and I always talk about sacred pause because especially now we're in this world where everything is instant. Everything is reactive. People feel that they have to, to, to react immediately to whatever stimulus is being um, thrown their way. And between the stimulus and the response is so true is that space where you can take that breath, you can take that pause. And there's such great growth and freedom in that to be able to really see what's right in front of you, to tap into that awareness, to that conscious awareness of what's really going on and how to better, how to have a better response than just reacting, as you say, is, is you know, the, the bulk of the problems with reactivity. And in relationships, you see that naturally in relationships. It's what you just said of the story of how she utters these words. He, he hears it a certain way. He responds in, in defense. And, and then it goes back and forth like a game of tennis. It is. And it's a fierce game of tennis. <laughs> it's, a, it's a battle to the death sometimes. Mm -hmm. right. I think tennis was an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you. And, and I know it's, it's a very, it would be a, a very full response needed actually for the question, but for people that are hearing you speak and saying, yes, I want to have a deeper, more intimate connection with my partner. I want to have a deeper, more intimate and loving relationship. How, how could they even begin to prepare to engage in this type of work? Where would they start? It all begins and ends with you. It all begins and ends with you being willing to look into you, to be willing to accept yourself 
for all of your perfect imperfections, whatever they are, whatever you can see today. For you to be willing to be curious about yourself and about life and about the other person. And to recognize that loving is not so much about a transaction, it's about a sharing. And to ask yourself, you know, what is it I, I want to experience in this relationship? And is this about what I want and need, or is this about what I want and need to share someone else? In other words, is it about what have you done for me lately, or is this about how can we share our lives? There's a very different attitude in that. So how do people know within relationships when they're doing the sacred dance with one another, whether it's a healthy dance or an unhealthy dance, so to speak? Um, there's a, there was a, a quote that I kind of happened to, to pass by, and I don't know if I was interpreting it properly, but it spoke to me because it, it said something to the effect of they were not holding hands, but their shadows were. Ooh. And I can interpret that in a couple of different ways, but the way that I immediately interpreted that in the quick moment when I read that was they were not holding hands, but their wounds, their traumas, their deep-rooted shadows were. And I said to myself, well, you know, when you're doing the dance, in many ways, you're working within each other's story. You're working with each other and supporting one another and facing your shadows and tapping into that exposed um, deep part of yourselves um, together because you're doing this dance together. So I said, you know, that seems, that seems healthy. That seems um, like a very good dance. And then the other interpretation was they are not holding hands almost in a very toxic way, but their shadows were holding hands. And so I just sat with that because I saw it in two different ways. And so I wanted to know how you view that and, and what you feel when you hear that. Mm. I'm feeling um, a, a, a bit conflicted right now because I've had two really rough days with couples who have been struggling with each other's shadows and triggers and <clears throat> and in in the midst of it I'm struck with because I know the history of of these couples and I watch them wrestle so I, I'm just feeling kind of the the uh, energy of of all of the the intensity that's been going on the past couple of days. And at the end of the day, when, when they've cooled down, when they've cooled off, what is there after, after the fire? After all of the reaction? Is there a recom is there a, a reconnection? Is there a rededication? Is there a resolve to to work on this and to get back to the drawing board and 
and forgive me for all the things I said. I'm, I'm so sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. I'm so sorry. And sometimes you could say that you're enabling abuse. And I, I think that's one thing you might be asking. Um, and sometimes the way some people are doing the dance and wrestling with their, their, their shadows, with their dark side, this really sometimes fierce underbelly, and the way they're struggling with one another in that dance, it could appear to be abusive. And you have to be willing to, to really look closely. Is it abusive or is this the work? Mm. And, and you want to, you know, you have to draw a line somewhere where you want to make sure people aren't actually, you know, killing each other. And sometimes you have to say, this is too much. This is not okay. And you have to draw that line. And sometimes if and when you do draw that line, because of the bond and the, the sacred contract this couple may have, they may take a break. They may take a break for a week, a month, a year, two years. And that, that break, it's, it's often part of what happens with the, with the twin flame relationships where they have come together to assist each other in growing and healing, growing and learning. And it's often in the times they have come apart that they do the work, then they come back together for the conflict and that causes them to do more work and they take another break and then they come back again. So. There's no one answer. I think you have to be very vigilant about making sure that there's no real damage and to ask the question and be really honest with yourself. Is this hurtful or is this productive work? Is this a no win or is this a, a work in progress? I'll give you an example of a client I was on with this morning. He's been with me not too long, but it hasn't taken me long to assess the situation. Uh, he's, he's got a lot at stake. He's been with his wife 20 years and they have two small children, ages five and three, two. And when he began, I've never met her. So when he began telling me about his push-pull, he described her behavior and the scenarios of her behavior, which I saw clearly that this man could do nothing that would please her. No matter what he did, he was like walking through a minefield. So he's dealing with someone who has a very serious emotional disorder, which is called oppositional defiant personality disorder. It's not easily treatable because the, the patient, the client doesn't want to know, doesn't want to do the work. And so this is a clear example of someone who's in this no-win situation in which his wife has a mental illness. It's a personality disorder, which is not amenable to treatment. It's very difficult to treat. And someone like someone who has a borderline personality disorder, very difficult to treat. So in these situations, you have to either stay in that relationship with your eyes wide open, having no illusion that you're dealing with something that is going to get better. And to ask yourself, how and why would you stay in it? 
And those are serious questions. He's got two little children that depend on both of them. And it's, it's, it's not an easy uh, fix at all. It's very painful. And that's why I say I'm feeling, I'm feeling some of the, the, uh, the energy of these difficult conversations I've had just today. Uh, one of my precious people I've been working with is in a deep, acute, depressive state. He just completely crashed a couple weeks ago and his loving girlfriend crashed along with him. She wanted to help him, but she folded. And we had a session that was shocking to me in which in the, is in the middle of his depressive state, she basically said, I'm sick of it. I want none of it. I'm, I'm pissed off that he made this and this decision. And I, 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 I don't think he would ever take care of me the way I've taken care of him, jumping to all these conclusions that weren't true. She's just deciding that he's never going to be able to be there for me the way I've been there for him. And it was clear to me in that moment, she was in pure reaction. It was transactional. You know, he's not going to do for me what I've done for him. And I'm sick of it and I'm done. Now, I don't know how to explain this reactive dance. In this particular situation with this couple, as damaging and hurtful and painful as this is, they could very well reconcile because this was part of a dance in which she imploded at the same time he did. But they are highly motivated to find a way to make this work. They're aware and awake enough to know that you know, they need to do the work. They're in great pain. So you have different situations with different kinds of disorders and disabilities and dysfunctions and, and, and you know, we have all kinds of labels for things that people are grappling with. And if you see that there is some reciprocity in the dance, mm. right? It's really important to look for the reciprocity in the dance. Then you could very well have a transformational relationship at work. But there must be reciprocity of intent and there must be reciprocity in consciousness. Yeah, both parties have to be conscious and awake to the dance that they're doing. It will never work if it's only one person. And I understand what you're saying. He, he was having this moment within his shadow and her and she at the same time was having that moment within her shadow. And so, yeah, that's one, I feel like that's to be expected, especially if you're doing that dance together, it's going to happen. You're going to have that crossover, that clash of when your shadows kind of just <clears throat> want to beat each other up. And then you have to ask yourself that very important question. Like you said, am I conscious? Am I awake? Am I aware? Am I willing to do this dance? Are we both willing to do this dance and move forward? And those are not simple questions. They sound like simple questions, but you have to dig deep to really give the truest, mo most authentic answer, because that's what's going to give you clear perception. It's what's going to give you the ability to perceive yourself and others to really give and accept that love and healing that's needed. It's incredible. 
And, and I, and as I listen to you speak, I just, I love your voice, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just, and I know just from being someone that really can access and feel other people's energy, especially when it comes to this topic, I, I want to ask, how do you process that? How do you self-nurture and take care of your energy field when doing this type of deep work with so many people? I have, I have my own coaches and my own mentors that I, that I connect with regularly. And I have a very deep meditation practice with myself. I've been doing intuitive energy healing for over 20 years. And I've integrated several modalities. I'm not even quite sure which one I'm using at any particular time these days because it's mostly intuitive and kinesthetic. Mm. So, and I give myself quiet time. There are times that I just need to create some quiet space where I listen to music. I, I ask myself, what, what, what am I mood, in the mood for? Is it Beethoven? Is it Enya? Is it the Grateful Dead? I mean, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's not necessarily, there are times that I need to listen to heavy metal. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Thing about the heavy metal that just does it for me and I'll just I'll, I'll go to my car where I, I just surround sound right and, and turn on the heavy metal <laughs> <laughs> you're encapsulated you can feel it all in there no, but I can't turn it on a full blast of my apartment I'll just turn <laughs> my neighbors right <laughs> so <laughs> Well, it's, it's the frequency that's running through your body. It's the vibration that, that has affected your energy field. So sometimes it's, you don't have a specific go-to meditation or a specific go-to music. It just really depends. What energy are you with right now? And right. what do you need? Something, yeah. Sometimes I need something raw and noisy. Sometimes I need something soft and gentle. So, I'll, you know, I ask myself, what do I need? It's just like I, when, when I ask myself what I, want, what I want, want to eat for dinner or what kind of tea do I want, I ask my body. I do listen to my body. I've learned to, the body knows everything. Mm. I do listen to my body a lot. And I'm very connected to my heart center. I probably am more consciously aware of connecting with my heart center the past five years or so. Um, and it makes a really big difference because I literally make a point to get out of my head. I want to get out of my head, into my heart center, connect with my intuitive self on that level. And um, sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm just a conduit sitting in the room, but I'm never alone. Mm. I, I always feel that I have, you know, for want of a better word, my my better angels surrounding me and uh, guiding me. Yeah, it's important. It's important to know that you're not alone and to accept that, um, to accept the ancestors, the guide, the angels, whoever the source is for you, for me, for anyone, to know that you can access that. And it's very much a part of all the energy that surrounds us. Um, I'm so happy you brought up listening to your body because especially for people that have a difficult time articulating what they feel, 
right? We talk, we, we talk about the intellect, you know, going from our head, dropping from our head into our heart, into the feeling space. And for people that seek to be more in tune with their intuitive creative, with their intuitive intelligence, the body work, listening to that space is so important. That's something that I've learned along the way. I didn't wake And you know, it's interesting because we're all born crying. We're, we're all born these babies. And we, we as children are very in tune with our body. We don't know how to articulate. And then we get older and we find the words and we know how to articulate. Um, but there are some things that just can't be articulated. But if you can find that stillness in all of that motion and really feel into yourself, into your physical space, your body will tell you everything. So I say this, you know, in conjunction with what you were saying for people listening, I say this because you may not know in any given moment what it is that is triggering you. You may not know why it's triggering you or how to even form, formulate a thought about it to express or convey that emotion, but you'll feel it in your body. Follow the symptoms, so to speak. Follow what you're feeling. I was just having this conversation last night, actually. Um, I was having a conversation on Clubhouse about the power of intuition and talking about how sometimes you may go through an experience where you, you feel a sensation around your throat energy space where you just feel like a vice grip or I call it the apple, you know, in your throat when you have this emotion that you can't express or you feel the emotion in your belly and your solar plexus, that, that gut feeling, that, that gut-wrenching feeling even or that hollow feeling or the nauseated feeling, whatever those feelings are, they tell you things. And so I just invite everyone to really pay attention to those things. You may not be able to figure it out here intellectually, but if you can drop into your heart, into your body centers, it will tell you everything you need to know. And then you start doing the work because then they call Sheila <laughs> and they say, help me figure this out. <laughs> uh, hmm. and, and, and so often if people are, if people are motivated to work it through, or as you say, figure it out, and, and, and they're willing to, to, to say to themselves, I don't know how, but I want to find a way. To be willing to be humble enough to say, I know there's so much I don't know. And I often have to remind couples, you don't know what you don't know. So take yourself off the hot seat here. You don't know everything there is to know. None of us does. So if you had known better before, you would have done better before. If your parents had known better before, they would have done better before. If your grandparents had known better. So we need to take each other off the hot seat for not knowing everything we think we're supposed to know. So compassion and humility is so important in being willing to be vulnerable. We need more compassion. The world needs more compassion. And it's, it's tough to access. Like you said, sometimes you're brought up in a way where you don't even know what compassion is. You don't know what, what it feels like to be able to be vulnerable. 
and yeah, taking each other off the hot seat, not having that expectation that your partner or whoever you're in relation to is supposed to know everything. It could be is it's not about catering to you. Being in a relationship is not about how that person can make that make you happy and that's their that's the goal of the relationship. That's not what a relationship is about. No, but as little children, that's what we thought. Mm. Right. And as little children, we thought our parents or grandparents knew everything. And then we discover, oh, they didn't know everything. And then there's the, the fall, right? The fall from, from grace, as it were, the, the uh, paradise lost kind of thing, right? Where you thought it was supposed to be one thing and you discover, oh, I guess it's not the way I thought it was. Does that mean everything I think is wrong? You have to continue to create yourself. You're not, uh, you know, you're not a duplicate of somebody else. We both did that again. <laughs> we seem to take breaths at the same time. Yeah, to, to deconstruct or reconstruct, to um, deprogram and, and unwire and rewire uh, a lot of the things that we've been taught and programmed to believe that, you know, believe that that are true or to, to believe, you know, what we know is gospel and this is how it is. It's just patterns and it's generational. And there's a lot of ancestral healing to be done too in this work. That's a whole other segment, but, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of that healing. I love what you said, take each other off the hot seat. So deconstruct and reconstruct are so closely related. And we're so afraid of, of uh, destruction, but destruction is as inevitable as creation. And you can't have something new without something dying. So there's something in uh, uh, Eckhart Tolle says, die before you die recognizing that we need to shed our old skin. Maybe not every day, maybe several times a day, <laughs> but you know, as often as possible to shed the old skin, to be willing to say, okay, this is what I thought I was yesterday. And I've discovered that wasn't altogether true. And to be willing to be humble and to be compassionate with ourselves and to say, I didn't see everything as clearly yesterday as I do today. And I recognize I might see things entirely differently tomorrow. So I may deconstruct my life and th so that I can reconstruct my life. I have this smirk on my face because as you're speaking about deconstructing and reconstructing, I'm thinking about how every day we deal with Side note, if those of you who don't know me are listening, um, dealing with house fires and flooding and all types of property damage, if you will, where we go in and we see all this damage and everything went from what it was holy, you know, in whole and full of all of these amazing memories and, and energy 
burnt down and we go in, it's what can we save? What can we salvage? And what can we bring in and add that's fresh and new? And that's part of the evolution. You know, I think of it as building, rebuilding that home. It's rebuilding that heart space, rebuilding that soul space. There are parts that are always going to be a part of you. And then there are these, these new things that you awaken to and learn each day or these new things, you know, in this home that just burnt down, you had this terribly ugly colored carpet. And now you can really choose 40 years later, this beautiful carpet that you just want. It's, it's, it's a pleasure. And you're like, yes, I can replace this with, with that, this newness, that beautiful piece. So I'm just laughing because as you're speaking, I'm like thinking of hammers and nails. And (laughs) (laughs) I understand, Jenny, I have just reconstructed my home. I was literally without my home as a home for three and a half years, having stuff in storage. You know, I I always have my office. So this has been my home base. But I've recently reconstructed a whole new home having given away or thrown away almost 90% of my belongings and the few things I kept in storage. You know, I paid 200 a month for three and a half years. You do the math. For a few wow. months, probably I could have bought 10 times over with that amount of money. But I'm, I'm reflecting on the metaphor of this because in the deconstruction, in the decomposition of, in the, uh, the, uh, the word... <clears throat> My, my home was, was destroyed in many different ways. And in that process was a reconstruction of myself and my concept of what home is. Hmm. And going through uh, experiences of deprivation and being without and being a minimalist and all of that. And now with my reconstruction of my new home, I'm seeing home through a whole new lens seeing space through a whole new lens. I'm, I'm feeling grateful for having some of my treasures back, unpacked out of, you know, having sat in boxes for three and a half years, things that have been with me 50 years. Not that things define any of us, but they do have stories and they do have energy. Hmm. So as do the relationships in our lives. So very often in the relationships in our lives, we can deconstruct those two and reconstruct them because we're always changing. And maybe uh, as with your ex, as you alluded to, that's why I'm kind of sort I'm, I'm kind of looping around. You you deconstructed and reconstructed something in that relationship, which you have described now as being a form of unconditional love. He'll always be the father of, of, of some of your children. And that's a bond, just is. Mm-hmm. So as, as we learn from that kind of experience, we enrich ourselves by knowing that nothing has to die totally. Mm. That, you know, again, Nothing really dies, it just changes energy. So 
I mean, that doesn't mean I didn't, you know, that doesn't mean I didn't lose or give away or throw away a lot of my belongings. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that the, the issue of home, what, what home is, was, was the main focus here. What is home? And I learned to define it many different ways and to experience it in many different ways. Likewise with love and loving relationships and uh, learning from one relationship what works well for yourself and being able to apply it to another relationship. Learning who you are at this stage of your life and honoring that, that evolution for yourself. I know people who've been in marriages for 20, 25 years who in one or both cases, they've simply outgrown one another. Mm. It wasn't a matter of not loving or caring about each other. It's that one went one direction, one went another direction. And they acknowledged that and didn't demonize each other or blame each other. I, I often involve in what I call conscious uncoupling. Mm. So the people can uncouple without blaming each other and to bless the, the, uh, the benefits and the gifts of the relationship and to be able to honor each other in that spirit. Don't we, don't we deserve that to honor ourselves and honor the ones we love? Conscious uncoupling, it's so beautiful. I, I can only imagine how rare that is to be able to really do that. But we all deserve, right? I don't even like the word deserve, but you know, to feel that happiness or to feel that freedom or that sense of understanding and loving acceptance. Exactly. And, and, and that's part of the benefit of doing real shadow work in one way or another, where you actually integrate the, the dark and the light. You integrate the negative with the positive. You integrate the fear with the love. You integrate the, what used to be judgment and now through compassion, you find a way to bless it all. Because mm. the fact of the matter is, everything that's you know, under, under the uh, radar with our, with our consciousness, everything that's unconscious, that's floating around underneath the surface here is always at work. And the more we can uncover it all, the more we can uncover the blind spots, the more we can honor the blessing of those triggers to say, oh, oh, there it is again. Ouch, what do I need to see? Help me, what do you see? So you say to your beloved, you say to your friend, you say to your child, I, I, who's, who's giving you feedback in one way or another, what, what, what do you see? I, I, I just don't see it. I mean, if we could begin to shift our perspective of the reactions we get from other people in our lives to see that as feedback rather than an attack, mm. what, what difference would that make in our lives? It's feedback. Uh, years ago, one of my best friends and I were out to lunch at that time, we'd been friends about 20 years. We'd now been friends 50 years. Wow. And no, 54 years, actually. Anyway, so we were out to lunch and she said, Sheila, you know, I love you. I said, yes, Ray, I love you too. And we've been friends a long time, yes. And I cherish our friendship. She said, however, I've, I've been 
I don't know. I don't know. I haven't known how to say this, but I'm going to say it. If our friendship doesn't change, I don't want it. I said, ouch. Wow. What are you talking about? She says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've become very self-absorbed. And our, our relationship is not reciprocal, and I don't like it. I said, wow, thanks for the feedback. Do I get another chance? She said, absolutely. <laughs> That's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Because we don't give each other too often. We don't give each other the chance. We don't, well, a couple of things. We don't offer the feedback. We choose to be silent. I say we, whoever, you know, chooses to not speak and to give the feedback and to trust and then the person who's receiving isn't willing to receive the feedback and can only um, experience uh, being in defense or being criticized. And so thank you for sharing that. That's so beautiful because I know there are plenty of people that, that could benefit and grow just from that story you just shared, from all that you shared. But that specific moment is a big moment. So thank you. Thank you. Well, I remind her, I just saw her and her husband a couple of weeks ago. I, I go into the city for a sleepover with my, my, my good friends. And I reminded her again, I said, I thank you all the time, all the time for that gift of you calling me out. She said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, don't you remember when you called me out for being self-absorbed? She said, I did that? <laughs> wow. I said, yes, you did. And I thank you all the time because you made me aware of myself. So every time I'm going to the city, I'm thinking to myself, reciprocity, Sheila, reciprocity. <laughs> Just like you said, the dance is eternal sometimes. It's a lifelong dance. <laughs> it is a lifelong dance. Oh. It's a lifelong dance of being present and humble. Yes. And curious. Indeed. I could speak to you all night, every day. I could come up with a million topics to talk to you <laughs> we, about. We could do this on another episode. I know <laughs> I'm watching the time, so I know you have to keep that at a certain length. So. Oh, goodness. Well, I'm, I'm so grateful. And um, time and energy, two precious things. And yeah, I would love to continue the dialogue. I would love to talk about other topics. There's so much. Um, I'm not sure if you, oh, I did want to ask you if you can tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and or otherwise, anything you'd like to share on that front, because everyone must know Sheila, trust me. And, and I just want to tell you a quick little story. I remember 12 years ago, sitting in a, at a networking event somewhere in the Hudson Valley when I saw you for the first time and you hadn't written that book yet, one of the books yet. Um, and I remember sitting there and I must have been the youngest in the room by far. I was this like little kid. You're always the youngest. One. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I am. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember I was quiet. I was intimidated and I just sat there looking at you and listening to you speak. And I thought to myself, that's what I, that's who I want to be when I grow up. So yeah. <laughs> and I'm just, I just, your energy is 
just infectious and beautiful and your voice I could listen to forever and you have a beautiful mind and a, an even more beautiful heart so thank you so much for sharing it all with us I feel very blessed to have had you on so thank you thank you Jen uh, you can find me on Facebook Sheila Aiken Pearl you can go to my various pages Sheila Pearl relationship coach, Sheila Pearl, author. There are several. Just look up Sheila Pearl on Facebook. I'm on in, uh, Instagram at wisdomsong73. But you, but you can find me by looking for Sheila Pearl. They'll, they'll send you my way. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Sheila Pearl. And uh, if you want to call me, just call me at 845-542-6057. Just call me or text me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap for tonight, everyone. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for tuning in to After Dark again each week. Thank you for your support and stay tuned for another sacred conversation next week. Have a good evening, everyone.